Amen. Forever he is risen. Forever he is alive. What a powerful truth this day. And what a truth that really spurs us on, even on this Easter Sunday. As things look a little bit different, I admit to you that when I drove upon the Temple campus this morning, I missed seeing the parking lots full of individuals. I missed seeing families come into this place today to worship and to celebrate. I must admit, I missed just a little bit of what Easter usually is. And yet, I am convinced. I'm convinced that the same power of Jesus that would be here among us on this campus is the same power of Jesus that is among us even though we are scattered. As Brother George said a few moments ago, you may be in your living room or you may be at your kitchen table, but I can promise you that the power of the Lord Jesus is there as well. Because today as we celebrate Easter Sunday, our Jesus is alive. Never doubt that. You know, I do miss the gathering together, as I said. But I also know that Easter is not just about, well, it's not just about Easter egg hunts. It's not just about new suits. Although, why would you get a new suit when you got a seersucker? It's not about new suits. It's not about new dresses. It's not about new shoes. You know what Easter's about? It's about new life. It's about new power in the Lord Jesus Christ. And no matter what happens today, not even the tornado watch or any type, of, any type of other issue we face can keep us from the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. And I want to show you that today. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles right where you are and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 24. As we hear the power of the resurrection once again, hopefully as we come into this narrative and as we hear it afresh and anew in our lives. There in Luke chapter 24, it says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told the things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. That first Easter Sunday morning, we're, we're told on that first day of the week, again Sunday, that these women come to the tomb. We're told in verse 10 that it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and a few other women who come to the tomb very early in the morning at the breaking of dawn. As a matter of fact, John in his gospel tells us that it was kind of dark still outside. But here these women come because they are 
they are ready to get to the tomb. These women, remember who had had front row views of the crucifixion, now they are given front row views or they become front row witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus himself. They come to the tomb. Now, why do they come? Is it simply out of tradition? Now, I know that we have a tradition that usually after we finish funeral services, oftentimes we'll go to the gravesite. Or we might just have a graveside service. There's a tradition of going to the cemetery after some type of service. So there is a tradition. Well, if you're in my family, especially my Mississippi family, there's a tradition to go to the cemetery no matter what type of season it is. Uh, Years ago, we uh, took our kids, Leslie and I took our kids up to uh, North Mississippi and they were spending some time with their grandparents. And when they got back, we asked them how things had gone and what they had done. And you know what they had said the first thing? We went to the cemetery. We went to the grave site. I said, you went to the cemetery? Yes, they took us to the cemetery. Now, I've learned through the years that there's something about that Mississippi tradition, maybe my family tradition, where they like to go to the cemetery. It is strange. I... I've asked my folks before, you couldn't take kids to the zoo? You, could, you couldn't take them to Chuck E. Cheese? Well, that's kind of like a cemetery too. But you couldn't take them to uh, some place, a park? Why don't you even take them to Walmart? Why did you take them to the cemetery? Well, of course, they've got their own reasons of teaching heritage and family and all of that. All I can say is Mississippi people are strange. They are strange. But these women, they did not come to the tomb simply because of tradition. They came with purpose. These women came with purpose. According to the end of chapter 23, and of course, that first verse in chapter 24, they come to minister, to minister to the physical body of Jesus. Remember on that Friday evening or Friday afternoon, Jesus' body had been taken down at 3 p.m. He had died at 3, and very shortly afterwards, his body was taken down, and it had to be hurriedly prepared because the Sabbath would begin at 6 p.m. So they had to very quickly move to prepare the body of Jesus. They would wash the body, and then they would begin to apply spices, aromatic spices to the body. Up to 75 pounds of spices probably uh, applied to Jesus' body. They would move as quickly as they could. And then they would move Jesus' body into the tomb that had been provided by Joseph of Arimathea. They would have done this so quickly. And such haste would have characterized their works. But here... The ladies, the women who had been with Jesus, who had ministered to him before, they wanted to complete the work, if you will. They come that Sunday morning to be able to, again, anoint the grave clothes, to anoint the body of Jesus. They were coming to physically minister to Jesus' body. But ministry turned into mystery. The ministry that they had turned into mystery. Why? Because in verse 2 it says, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. The stone was rolled away. This was a huge stone. Basically, in the New Testament age, they would take a stone, a round stone, 
and they would place it in like a channel or a trough right in front of the tomb, in front of the grave. And they would be able to roll the stone into place so that nothing could interfere with the body that had been laying there in the tomb. So Mark tells us that this was a large stone. This was a huge rock. And again, in Mark's gospel, it says the women were thinking to themselves, how are we going to move the stone? How are we going to even be able to get in to see Jesus' body? It's just us. How are we going to do this? See, I don't think they knew that the Roman soldiers had been stationed outside Jesus' body, outside his tomb. Why? Because the Roman guard had been assigned on that Sabbath on Saturday according to what the scripture teaches us so this would have been in that intervening time between Friday and Sunday morning when they come I don't think they knew that the Roman guard was there I don't think they realized the Roman seal had been placed upon the tomb they're thinking to themselves how can we move it again it is a large rock according to my study most entrances into the tombs of the day would have been four and a half to five feet high. So in other words, average size guys like me would have to duck to go in. Four and a half to five feet high tomb doors. And then they would have rolled the rock over it. Some years ago, there were some engineering professors at Georgia Tech University. Now, I understand that all of those engineering professors at Georgia Tech University, they do much inferior work compared to the engineering professors and students at Louisiana Tech University. But this morning, just humor me just a moment, okay? These two Georgia Tech engineering professors, they took that height. They tried to figure out based upon the composition of the stone that would be used during that time and then the size of the doorway, they tried to compute exactly how heavy that stone might be. And do you know what they came up with? They came up with one and a half to two tons. That's huge. That, that is huge. And it is so heavy to think about moving. So here they come and their ministry that they're going to somehow work with the body of Jesus has just turned into a mystery because the stone has been rolled away. And I would even suggest that the language of the gospel say that it was taken and physically moved for a piece, like it was like tossed almost out of the way. The stone was rolled away. And not only was there mystery around the stone, there was mystery around what was in the tomb or what was not in the tomb. Because in verse 3 it says they went in and did not find the body of Jesus. You're coming to the tomb. You would expect a body. Remember their ministry was about the body of Jesus. They were coming to take care of the body of Jesus. They look around. There is no body. What happened? Can you see how all of a sudden they're confused? The, the stone's been rolled away. There is no body in the tomb. There is evidence, according to John's gospel, that Mary Magdalene at first thought that somebody had taken the body, that somebody had stolen it. And she was in much grief and sorrow over it because there was no body. So that's confusing. That's a mystery. And verse 4, it says, And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. 
You want to add to the mystery of the moment. All of a sudden, these two men in shining garments, we're told that they are angels that are appearing as men, that these angels are there. The angels. And they speak to these women. And notice what they say. They say, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why did you come to a tomb to find a living person? A cemetery is not the place that you're going to find living individuals. Why did you come here to seek the living among the dead? And then those powerful words. I believe the most significant words that have ever been uttered here on the face of this earth. He is not here. He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. The mystery of the stone, of the lack of body, of the angels. I mean, all of a sudden their ministry had turned into a state of mystery. But as you continue reading through this text, you will see where their memorialization, that is how they were coming to memorialize the body and memorialize Jesus, how their memorialization I think turned into maybe memorization. The angels speak and they said, don't you remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee? Don't you remember that? Don't you remember what Jesus said? When you were in Galilee, and again, these women basically from Galilee, don't you remember what Jesus said to you? Jesus Mention this, Jesus said that this was the plan. Verse 7, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise again. We find that language in Luke chapter 9, verse 22 and verse 44. We find that language in Luke 18, 32 and 34. In other words, Jesus had spoken. They didn't always understand it, and there were reasons behind that. But Jesus had predicted that this moment would come. Jesus had said, I must die and then I must be resurrected. He says, on that third day, he would rise again. He would stand again. He said, don't you remember? You ought to memorize this. You ought to remember what Jesus said to you. You know, memory can bring perspective, can it not? Sometimes when you're going through the most difficult days of your life and you're overwhelmed with emotion, it's hard to see the future, but it's even hard to hear the encouragement of the past. When you're going through tough times, these women, they were grieving because the Messiah, the Savior, the rabbi that they had followed, he's dead. And they're overcome with emotion. It's like they can't remember. They can't think of the past. And the angels say, remember. You know, for you and I, I think this has been a good time. Through these tough days, difficult times of life, for us to stop and put some things in perspective. And remember. Remember what he said to us. Remember. Hey, remember that he's told us that he would never leave us or forsake us. He'd never abandon us. 
So it's very good right now at this moment when we go through these dark days of our nation and dark days of this pandemic for us to know that he's never, I need to remember, he's never left us. He's never forsaken us as his children. It's good for us to remember like we had this holy week what Jesus did for us. That Jesus was willing to go to the cross, to die on the cross, to say, I have loved you this much. It's important for us to remember. Hey, it's important for us to remember that the tomb is empty. It is important this day for us to remember that. Here, their memorialization turned into memorization to remember what Jesus had said. Look at verse 8. Just simply summarized for us in the Gospel of Luke, it says, and they remembered his words. What comfort that must have brought and how they must have been reminded that this was indeed the plan overall. This was the plan of God himself. This was the plan of Jesus. This was not a surprise. This was in the divine work of God. And then look. They're mourning turned into marveling verse 9 it says they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest and then in verse 11 it says and their words seemed to them like idle tales and they did not believe them stop there for a moment here, these women come back and they begin to tell the disciples, the 11 and all the others who are gathered together, they begin to tell them that the body is not in the tomb. That the angels have appeared and they have said that Jesus is risen. And again, in verse 11, it says the response was like, you're kidding me. This could not be true. This could not happen. Now, I know many of us may be tough on those early disciples in a lack of faith. But think at what the women were testifying to. Think about what they're saying. They're saying that a dead man is living. That a dead individual is now, he's been resurrected. And he's living and he's breathing. You see, that defies reason. No rationale can adequately describe that type of truth. It says that those 11 and the others, they just had such trouble coming to this faith. But in verse 12, it says, Peter arose and ran to the tomb. In John's gospel, John said, I went with him. And I love the way John describes it because John says, I beat him to the tomb. John was the cross-country runner, and he beat Peter to the tomb. But Peter was the one that really ran into the tomb. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. He looks, and he sees all of the linen clothes, the grave clothes, and we're told he also sees the head covering, the, the handkerchief as it has been called, and he recognizes that Jesus is not there. And their mourning, their sorrow, all of a sudden turns into marvel 
and wonder at what had happened. There is no body in the tomb because Jesus had been resurrected. That makes all the difference in the world, does it not? To marvel over that, to wonder. I mean, God is, God is reminding us, I think today, of the wonder and the marvel of the resurrection of Jesus. Folks, some of us have been in the churches so long and we've attended so many Easter services, we forget, we forget the significance and the power of that statement. That there was one who died for us who was dead physically. He was dead and yet now he is alive. His body has become animated. There is breath back in him. He is alive. That statement, that idea should be just as powerful for us today as it was for those disciples. Because for us, reason, rationale could never explain that work. Only the supernatural work of God himself. We should wonder over that. We shouldn't take it so lightly. Even as we approach Easter Sunday with all the different things going on, we should never take it lightly that Jesus came back from the dead. That he was resurrected. You see, we need to be reminded that the angel did not roll the stone away so that Jesus could come out of that tomb. Jesus, the angel rolled that stone away so that we could look into that tomb. Jesus could have walked right through that rock. According to his glorified body, he could pass through doors or walls. He could have walked right through that. But the angel moved it back. He picked it up, perhaps even tossed it away so that you and I, so that those disciples could look into that tomb and know that it is empty. We should marvel over it. We should stand in wonder before the empty tomb. God has blessed me through the years to travel quite a bit and to see some wonderful, great things. For me growing up on Birmingham Ridge in North Mississippi, I didn't venture out a whole lot. My parents didn't take really a whole lot of vacation. So for me to be able to come to a point where I could travel and see different areas and, and different, well, different sites, it's been, it's been a tremendous privilege for me. When I was in Zachary some years ago and I had just finished up my doctorate, I lived under the threat of my wife for so long that I had to finish and get done with my doctorate, finish up my PhD, finally got it done, and everybody was happy. And the church there in Zachary sent me and Leslie to the Holy Land. We went to Israel, to Jordan, even down into Egypt. It was one of the first times that I'd had such international travel and such an extended time that I was gone. And I remember going into Egypt and seeing those uh, features they call the pyramids. Incredible. They really are. Incredible. You go out and you see the engineering behind that and the, the huge stones that have been placed as they had. Tremendous. It was an overwhelming sight for me. I'd never seen anything like that in North Mississippi. Mount Woodall, kind of like Louisiana Mount Driscoll, but nothing, 
like the pyramids. Nothing. And then a few years ago when I was here at Temple, I was able to go and visit India. There in South Asia to go to the town called Agra and see something, something we call the Taj Mahal. I mean, the Taj Mahal, white marble, glistening in the sun. I mean, pools, the grounds. I'm talking about beautiful. I was amazed. I, I keep thinking to myself, Reggie, I mean, you've been able to see some of the greatest sights in the world, some of the seven wonders of the world, of the contemporary world today. I mean, you've been able to see all of that. But then, as I was working through this and as I've been thinking over the last few months, you know, the pyramids, they're just huge tombs. You know, the Taj Mahal, you may not know this. I don't know if I really had known this. The Taj Mahal, a tomb. Took 16 years to build it, but it's still a tomb. The pyramids, a tomb. They, they are tombs. The Taj Mahal tomb. May I suggest to you that when we stand before the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to stand in greater wonder than we ever have through the pyramids or before the Taj Mahal. Because those are mausoleums. Death. When I stand before Jesus' tomb, it is a tomb, but it is a place of life. It is a place of power. It is a place of the resurrection because my Lord is not in that tomb. There may be bodies in those other tombs. Jesus' body is not in his tomb because he is alive. And we ought to wonder. We ought to marvel over that. It's amazing how God can take a tomb and he can make it a symbol of life. As I said, some years ago, I was there in the Holy Land. I've gotten to travel there actually three different times. And I go to the garden tomb. Now, my heart tells me that's where Jesus' tomb was. The traditional site, that might be the site. Either way, I'm just going to say to you, the big deal is Jesus' body is at neither tomb that we, we talk about or we look at today. But we went to the garden tomb and we walked in and we saw that empty tomb and then, as I've done with all of my groups, we would go and we would take the Lord's Supper there in the garden. And then we would worship. We would sing, up from the grave he arose. We would sing, because he lives. We would have a worship session. If I had the music for forever, I would have played it and we would have sung it think of that in the shadows of the tomb we were worshiping because we know our Jesus overcame death hell and the grave itself and is the central tenet of our faith and who we are some years ago William Lane Craig who is one of the brightest thinkers of our day he spoke at the centrality of the resurrection. And I want to read his quote. He said, Without the belief in the resurrection, the Christian faith could not have come into being. The disciples would have remained crushed and defeated men, even had they continued to remember Jesus as their beloved teacher. 
his crucifixion would have forever silenced any hopes of his being the Messiah. The cross would have remained the sad and shameful end of his career. The origin of Christianity, therefore, hangs on the belief of the earthly disciples that God had raised Jesus from the dead. You see, that's the reason we celebrate this Sunday. This is the reason we should celebrate every Sunday. Every Sunday should be Resurrection Sunday because it is central to who we are. It is the distinctive character of the Christian faith that we believe that our Lord is living. And it makes a difference. Oh, yes, it does. It makes a difference. It makes a difference in the way you confront sin. Because through resurrection power, you have power over sin. You don't have to just capitulate. You don't have to just give in to it. You can overcome sin through the power of the resurrection, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of Jesus Christ in your life. You can serve effectively. Because as you serve him, as you serve him, you serve him in the power of the resurrection. Each and every day. Each and every day I can face life. I can face what, I, what is before me because God, through his son, the Lord Jesus, has given us the power of the resurrection. I can serve each and every day. I can face whatever comes. Because this passage reminds us that Jesus has victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave itself. So you think Jesus can overcome death, that Jesus can overcome hell. You ought to know that Jesus can also overcome sickness. He can overcome disease. He can overcome virus. He can overcome everything. Three or four weeks now, three or four weeks ago, it's hard to tell because I don't have a concept of days now. But three or four weeks ago, I told you that coronavirus, the word corona, comes from the Latin, which means crown or wreath, which also comes from the Greek corona, which means like garland, again, crown. And I told you then that this idea of coronavirus is they've looked in the microscopes and they see those crown-like features and that's the reason they named these viruses the way they did. Those are just pretenders to the throne. See, when Jesus walked out of that grave that day, when he walked out, everybody could see clearly that the crown was on Jesus' head. That Jesus was the king. He had always been the king. He had never relinquished that. Oh, he had given up some of his divine prerogatives so he could die for us. But he was always the king. The resurrection is just the exclamation point to say, Jesus is king. And that means that Jesus is over everything that we face. And we have confidence in him because of who he is. Let me say to you very quickly here at the end. The miracle that we see in this passage, it turned into the mission. It turned into the mission. The miracle of the morning turned into the mission of a lifetime. The miracle of the resurrection turned into the mission for the resurrected one. So Luke is writing this. It's his gospel. But don't forget, this is volume one. This is Luke's volume one telling us what Jesus did and how he worked 
for our salvation. And how, again, he demonstrates eternal life. But Luke writes another book in our New Testament. We call it the book of Acts. And that is volume two. Because if you have a volume one of Jesus being resurrected, it naturally flows that you would have a volume two. That that, that, that work would continue on and that there would be testimony that Jesus was alive. Because if you've got that fact, listen, you got the fact that somebody who is dead is now alive. You want to make it known because he is the one that is deserving all glory. He is the one that people must find salvation in. So in the book of Acts, you see the power of the resurrection. You see the eyewitnesses to the resurrection. You see the eyewitnesses to those post-resurrection appearances. You see them move because the miracle of the morning moved into this mission of a lifetime for them. And they began to preach and they began to teach. And the resurrection power would change lives, Jew and Gentile. It would be the resurrection power as Peter stood at Pentecost and preached and 3,000 would come to salvation. It would be the resurrection power that would confront the one, that rebel on the way to Damascus, that one that we call Paul who was a terrorist, who was one who was hostile toward the things of Christ. He was the one that was changed by the power of the resurrected Lord. The power of the resurrection would be the one who would change a tender heart like Lydia and Philippi or the tough heart of the Philippian jailer. It'd be the power of the resurrection. It'd be the miracle of the morning that somehow empowered the mission of the lifetime. And I say to you today that the power of the resurrection is still what spurs us on. And just as it made differences in the lives of those early disciples, it makes differences in our lives today. I want to read to you another quote. It says, what happened as a result of the resurrection is unprecedented in human history. In the span of a few hundred years, a small band of seemingly insignificant believers succeeded in turning an entire empire upside down. As been well said, they faced the tyrant's brandished steel, the lion's gory mane, and the fires of a thousand deaths because they were utterly convinced that they, like their master, would one day rise from the grave in glorified, resurrected bodies." See, that's the way we can face whatever comes our way. And that's the reason we can preach and teach and share and give testimony because we have the power of the resurrection. It pushes us forth in ministry. And I pray that it would continue to do that. Because as David Platt said, every person, every believer, every saved individual, this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. May we be people who would show that commitment in our lives. My friends, today is Resurrection Sunday. Jesus died for you and he rose again. And if you'll believe that unimaginable truth and commit your heart and life to him, you can be saved. If you need to talk about salvation, certainly you can comment here through some of our social media uh, platforms, you can text NEEDS to 97,000. 97,000. Text NEEDS. 
and we'll respond to you. But you can pray right now to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Just put your trust in him. Tell him you believe who he is and that you want to commit yourself to him. I encourage you as believers today, Christians, to seek him and to follow him in all that you do because he is the power of our mission. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this Resurrection Sunday. Thank you for your power. Lord, keep us now in your safety. Help us to proclaim it to all who we come into contact with. May we praise you. May we celebrate you. May those who are lost be saved through this broadcast today. May those of us who are saved, may we be more committed and ever more vocal about our faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.